What was happening um, while that song was being sung for you? Anything? Um, were you making your to-do list? Were you texting ahead for your lunch appointment? Were, did you find yourself like me um, on the edge a little bit emotionally? Um, I actually found myself going, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to open that door. I'm not sure if I open that door that I'll be able to close it again. Can you hear the words I'm saying? Uh, Do you hear that? I'm not sure. As Gene Rice would tell me, your eyes are way too close together. (laughs) I'm not sure that I can close that door. So what I'm going to choose to do, because I've got to preach in a couple minutes, what I'm going to do is not go there, not let his spirit in there, not let him stir up fears or regrets or pain so that I can hold it together and put on a happy front for our congregation for the balance of worship. Do you hear the bankruptcy of what I'm saying? Do you hear it? We spend our lives doing that, beloved, don't we? Trying to to guard our image, to guard our presentation, to not embarrass ourselves, not realizing that sometimes in that very humiliation or embarrassment, life comes to us and life comes to other people as well. This thing that we're talking about is not psychobabble. This thing that we're talking about over these last couple of weeks is very real. You are an emotional being and your emotions are important. They're an important part of your heart. And, and if, and I don't know if it's me or men in general, but if you've gotten to that place where you've become pretty good at pushing them under the surface out of pride or whatever reason, if you've come to that place, I just want to encourage you. There's no safer place to risk opening that door than with people that love you in the presence of a God who loved you so much he gave his life for you. So as we pick up the conversation today, I just really want to encourage you, uh, at least for these next 30 minutes, um, fat chance you're thinking, these 30 minutes, um, risk risk opening that door. If you have to, before you leave, cut and close it so you can function. Um, I'll trust the Lord to lead you. But, but let's not deny a fundamental part of who we are. Well, to do that, I'm going to have to go back a little bit and, and pick up um, a couple of uh, different things. First, if you would, turn in the Word of God with me. Let's explore a couple of these passages. One of them that you have already received today is from um, is Psalm 103. And I just really want to encourage you. Um, wow, there is grace in that psalm. In that psalm, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins from us. There is life in that psalm, and I just commend it to you. But I want to take you to a related passage to the one that is our anchor passage for the series as well. And it is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, beginning uh, at, at verse 7. You'll find it, if you don't have a Bible or a phone with you, you'll find it in the Pew Bible on pages 965 and 966, I think, I hope. I'm going to uh, read it out of my own Bible here in the ESV today. Second Corinthians 4, beginning around verse 7. We're going to skip a little bit for time's sake. But in verse 7, uh, well, let me back up. i got to back up. Uh, verse 5 says, For we proclaim not ourselves, 
See, there's that eye problem again, right? But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, we become the servant of all because Christ became our servant. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Holy cow. He has given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is this treasure, beloved. That's this treasure that he's entrusted to us. And one day he's going to come back and say, what did you do with the treasure that I gave you? And you're thinking, like everybody else in Scripture, you're thinking, I cannot do this. Look at the next verse. Verse 7. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, NIV, earthen vessels, right? And clay pots to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Not to us. We are afflicted in every way. We're crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in ourselves the body of Christ so that the life of Christ may also be manifested. And jump down to verse 16. With me, would you? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal, the very Word of God. And then if you'll um, keep your finger there, because we're going to kind of live out of that today, but, but then turn over to Hebrews just for a moment. Hebrews is way back toward the back. We're going to turn to a very familiar passage um, in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to have to shorten this a little bit, but um, I commend all the way to 13 to you. But let me just read the first couple of verses for you here now. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the author of the book of Hebrews says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God, the very word of God. Mm, Thank you, God. We're going to believe that your word never returns to you void. And I just pray that I don't mess it up, God. I just pray that I don't get in between what you want to say to each of us here. Be free to move among us. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations, God, of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock. And our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we, again, uh, waded into this amazing subject. We didn't do it um, uh, just blindly. We had already explored the reality that renewal begins with the mind. And we can change the way that we're thinking about the world 
around us. But last week, we waded into this issue of what does it mean that we have been made new emotionally as well. And we, we recognized last week that God is an emotional being. We recognize that we are emotional beings. Do you remember that? We, we recognize that the culture in which we live struggles with emotions and, and deals with them very badly. But that in the midst of this, that we were called, and we saw that in Ephesians 4, we were called to grow up in all ways into him who is our head. In other words, our goal is maturity in Christ. And, and we discovered that it's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. Right? You can be mentally mature and emotionally immature, but it's impossible to be spiritually mature because your spiritual maturity is based on your emotional maturity as well. So, so we ended, or we began a series of things that I'm going to continue today, discovering that emotional maturity is not automatic. If you're following in your notes, that's that top line, I think. Emotional maturity is not automatic. It's a product of our genetics. It's a product of our environment. But we especially were focusing on that which we can control. Last week, we were recognizing that it's also a product of our choices, of our choices. So we asked ourselves last week, what choices can we make to partner with God in our emotional transformation? Do you remember that? And, and we, we went, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because we did this last week. But believe, it's important that we choose to believe that the God who formed you is also able to transform you. Does that make sense? Yeah, if he had the power to form us and the love to form us, he also has the power to transform us. We chose to look beneath the surface. We saw that people are like icebergs. The vast majority of who we are is not visible to the naked eye. And we're going to risk with God's presence. We're going to risk with the, with the counsel of the word and godly men and women surrounding us. We're going to risk looking beneath the surface and, and opening that to God. We're going to choose to entrust ourselves to others. And we, we learned again, reminded ourselves that so much of who we are already and who we will become can only be discovered in godly community. Last week, we chose to receive that gift of limits that, that rather than regret our limitations, we're going to embrace them. God has blessed us with limitations that we have to learn to embrace rather than to fight and deny. And the key limitation that we focused on last week was that we are not God, right? We are not God. If you get that, then you're halfway there, okay? And then we saw at the very end of our service that that we can become a man or a woman after God's own heart. In other words, uh, our, our sinful thought patterns and emotions can be turned over to God. They can lead to godly responses. Wow. And we cut it a little short. And I want to pick up right there, saying what other choices do we have today, especially to honor God, to bless God, to glorify God in, in who we are and what he is doing in our life. Let me just begin by um, by focusing especially on on um, the power of God that is present right here in the room. God is here and he's ready to minister to us. So uh, let me pray one more time for us. God, thank you for the opportunity right here to offer ourselves to you. Thank you for the opportunity right here, God, to to bring about um, transformation by our willing surrender to who you are and what you are doing in our life. God, thank you for the opportunity to encounter you here today. 
We entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about now you're, you're plastered because I just ran through that all of last week in about three minutes. But let's pick it up right there. How do we do that? In, um, in Exodus chapter 20, um, the Ten Commandments are recorded for us. And we saw, we highlighted this uh, last week a little bit, but we saw in Exodus that God says something that absolutely rocks our world. God says in Exodus, I am a jealous God. Right? You're thinking, whoa, isn't that something we learned in kindergarten not to be? And, and, and we realize God, as we saw last week, is an emotional God, and jealousy is not necessarily bad. He's jealous for his own. He's jealous for us. You mess with my wife, and you're going to encounter me, right? I am jealous for my wife, and that is a holy jealousy. But what is the impact of that jealousy? He says right there in Exodus chapter 20, in the commandment, I'm a jealous God visiting the sins of the fathers and by, by extension mothers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Some of you are very familiar with this concept. Some of you just got your world rocked because you hadn't thought about that before. The consequences of what we're talking about here are huge. We know that because we all have mannerisms that, that reproduce things in our parents. Many of us have physical uh, characteristics that resemble uh, our mother and our father. There's these constant reminders that this principle is true. What God says is, I want you to understand that that's true for brokenness as well. That's true for sin. I visit the sins. The choices that we make regarding our sins are not private at all, are they? they? There's no such thing as a victimless sin, right? Because what God is saying is that the choices that we make when we give in to sin or when we give in to emotional impulses that are not godly, they affect all other things being equal, our children and our grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And if that thought does not terrify you, I don't know what will. Wow. Wow. Um, that's true, beloved, for us emotionally as well. If we don't handle this core part of who we are, if we give in to negative emotions rather than, than allowing God to renew our, our emotions as well, if we give in to those things, that's going to be... That's going to be passed down on the generations that come behind us. So here's what we must do. We must choose to break the power of the past. We must choose to break the power. Now, it's a little bit of a misnomer because God has already done that in Jesus Christ. But as a follower of Christ, right now you live in between two worlds, don't you? Your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. You are made new in Jesus and you're moving toward that reality. But the other reality still is in existence. We still are broken. We still live in the consequences of Adam and Eve's choice. We still live with the reality of sin. And, and, and we have to choose. What are we going to feed here? What are we going to feed? Are we going to feed the new Dave? Or are we going to feed the old Dave? What are we going to... What are we going to give life to? The, the awesome truth of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, you can break the cycle of sin that would normally last to three and four generations. You can change your family tree. 
you can, I, I always smile when I do this because of, of our friends, many of our friends who didn't know that they were marrying uh, each other and they were cousins. And so they, uh, they didn't know that until after they were married and they chased their family trees together. Excuse me. And, um, and the reason I discovered it because I was at their house and on their wall was a family tree. And the family tree sprouted out like that and then went whoop, like that. And I thought, oh, that's different. <laughs> you know, that is different. And they just laugh. You, you, would, you would laugh with them. They just laughed about it. So we didn't, we didn't know. It's several generations deep. You know, it's not like it's they have three years or something. You know, it, it, it was just amazing to, to see that come together. But the reality is that the choices that we make, good or bad, affect generations to the third and fourth generations. Well, I say that, but that's not quite true. Because he goes on to say in Exodus 20 that right relationships, right choices, right emotions uh, are passed down not for three or four. NIV says for a thousand generations should the Lord tarry. The courageous choices that some of you are going to make today in this next 10, 15 minutes, those courageous choices, should Jesus not come back, are going to bless generations for a thousand generations. This is important, beloved. This is important. We've got to choose to break the power, even over something as powerful as our family histories. Let me just say, um, if you're struggling um, with your family history right here, that that is the whole reason that God chose to identify himself. God, who is spirit, chose to identify himself as a father. He wanted to invite you into his family. That's why God gave you 150-some other people in the room who are your extended family. When we moved 2,000 miles to come out here, you became our family, and that was a huge blessing physically. Uh, It's so much fun to have Robin in the back of the room over here because she watched our children. She gave Karen and I a date night um, with our children. We just had Matthew and, and, um, and Chelsea, I believe, at that time, and just blessed our family that way. Our church family is a big part of that. And I've come to the conclusion that there's part of my nuclear family that I cannot control. I prayed. I have asked God for different things, and I don't know. It's going to be God if it happens. I, there's nothing I can do to bring about change in that. But I can live fully in this family. And where my own nuclear family has fallen short or is not able to provide for me what I really need, God has given me 150 other people who do that in spades, who do that far beyond what I could have ever asked or imagined. So I invite you to choose to break the power where you need to of the past. I told you, I promised you that I would quote Pumbaa, and here it is. You've got to put your past in your behind, right? Is that what he says in the movie? Um, yeah. Um, you've got to, at some point, and he's corrected, you've got to put your past behind you. You've got to say, I'm no longer going to be influenced by my past. I'm going to be influenced by God's future for me. Break that power of the past. But secondly, and this is where... It gets a little more gritty. We've got to choose to embrace, and I chose this topic months ago, 
not knowing that this morning we'd actually be experiencing it. Some of our families would actually be experiencing it. But we've got to choose then to embrace all the emotional spectrum. When we get angry, we've got to choose to embrace that and recognize something is stirred in my spirit. It might be a righteous anger. It might be an unrighteous one. But I've got to recognize it and not just push it down. Right? And especially we've got to choose to embrace grieving and loss. Let me just take it aside for a second and say that there are some there are some choices that we make that shrivel our hearts, that that decrease our capacity for what God intended our hearts for love. And when we give in to those things, then then we're reduced a little bit. And we give in again and we're reduced a little bit more, right? But there are some things, there's some choices that we can make that like exercise for our muscles actually increase the capacity. And I know that the heart is an organ, not just a muscle, but that, that uh, speaking figuratively now, that when we make those choices, our, the capacity of our heart is actually enlarged, is actually enlarged. And, and a enlarged heart for us physically might be a scary thing. Enlarged heart for us spiritually is not at all. And, and this is one of those, it's choosing to embrace grief and loss. Do bad things happen, do they? Anybody out there? Do bad things happen to good people, according to book title, do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, right? Um, uh, the storm rages on, on both. And, and God, as we've seen with Jesus, God doesn't automatically stop those things from happening. And in fact, in many cases, he caused them to happen. So, so there must be some good purpose that can come through those things. And my heart goes out again to the Miller family this morning as they, as they are experiencing this so freshly. On the one hand, their heads are going, he knew Jesus. He is with Jesus today. Yay. And then their hearts are going, and I miss him so much. I, I miss him. And, and, and what we're tempted to do, like I was tempted to do at the beginning of the service, is to just squash that and say, don't pay attention to that. Don't embrace that. Don't feed it, right? Put on the happy face. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You? Oh, good. Good. Praise the Lord, right? Inside, we're dying. We're dying. That's what I love about Jesus. He, he embraced it, right? He, when he entered Jerusalem, you know, he, he wept. Why? Because he said, I would long Jerusalem to gather you in my arms, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. When he, when he encountered his, his friend, who he intentionally allowed to die, when he came to the graveside, knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few moments, he completely embraced the grief of loss that comes from losing someone that you love. And he wept. He wept. Then Jesus embraced grief. He embraced loss. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could see what was coming. He knew what, the, what God was asking of him, and, and he did not want to do it. And he was completely human. God, if there be any way, right, let this cup pass from my list. But listen to this embracement right here. Listen to this. But nevertheless, not my will, God, but yours be done. He, he entered into it. And did you hear? Did you hear from Hebrews chapter 12 what enabled him to do that? 
Hebrews chapter 12 challenges us to look to Jesus. But did you see what Jesus was looking at? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, For the joy, the heart-enlarging joy set before him, embraced the cross. He endured the suffering. He experienced, didn't deny it, he experienced the pain. We've camped on the idea that joy is not the absence of pain. Joy is the presence of God in the midst of it, in the midst of the trial. I just want to encourage you. We recognized last week that we have limits. They, they uh, lead uh, us to um, fear and doubt about ourselves. And as we begin to lose control, as we begin to lose control, what we try to do is control the few things we have left a little bit more tighter. Right? Don't, don't look at my pulpit. My pulpit. My pulpit. It's not, that's exactly what it doesn't say on this brass plaque right here, but you understand. I try and hold on to that which I have tighter. Right? No. Um, the Word of God invites us to embrace the loss, to grieve it, but to grieve it as those who have hope. This is not the end. And God, I don't even understand completely why this had to be the way it is. But I love you, God. And I entrust myself to you, even in the midst of it. And that kind of leads us to our last one here today. And that's to choose. Choose not only to embrace grieving and loss, but to live in brokenness and vulnerability. What? What? (laughs) As Matthew said... When he was little, Mom, if I do that, I'll get beat up, right? If I do that, if I wear that sweater, I will get beat up, Mom, okay? Um, and some of you are thinking, if I, if I open the door to brokenness and vulnerability, I will get beat up. It might not be by the senior football players at North High School. It might even be by people in the room. If I risk that... Other people won't understand, and and I will experience pain. Here's the reality. This world has pain, right? It is a sinful world. You cannot stop that. It's not your right to never have anybody sin against you. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned, and we've all been sinned against, and we are all in some way dysfunctional and broken. And many times the way we express that dysfunctional nature and broken nature is that we hurt other people. But none of us come to Jesus not needing healing. None of us come to Jesus not needing discipline. None of us come to Jesus not needing um, to be directed and, and uh, healed and comforted. So, so what do we do in that situation? We, we recognize we all need to be profoundly retrained. We need to be retaught. We need to be reworked. We need to be reshaped under Christ's loving lordship and and grace. In other words, living in brokenness and vulnerability means that in all my relationships, I'm going to carry with me a profound awareness and humility that I'm not perfect, that I fall short and not by a little. And I'm going to be open and honest with other people. And, and I'm, I'm smiling because I've seen this happen over and over again by several of you in the room here. When you risk brokenness and vulnerability, what happens with people around you? 
Well, a couple of people will give you a hard time, but most people, it gives them permission to be real with you. It gives them permission to recognize their brokenness and their vulnerability. And, and before, whether you had a platonic relationship, now you have intimate relationship with someone else because they have experienced what you have experienced. Oh, it's so counter to our normal process, isn't it? It's so counter to, to our normal reaction. We've seen it many times. Psychologists have identified it. When something happens to you, when you come to a difficult place, when suddenly you're confronted with the reality that is a painful reality, um, we usually choose one of three things, right? We choose to flee. We choose to flee, right? We bury our pain and frustrations by running away from it. When Karen and I were struggling so much to have children and had lost three pregnancies, and I was a children's pastor, and I just didn't know where to go from here, we, I, I, there was nothing else going on other than the fact that Seattle looked really good. And Ventura in my rearview mirror looked really good. And, and we, we fled. We fled into a little tiny island off of Washington and hid. Hid. Um, that's, a, that's a normal response. But it's not a good response. Because nothing that we were running from was left behind, right? Nothing. Other people choose not to flee, but we choose to stand with a fist. We, we choose to stand and fight. And, and when we fight, we blame others, right? We become angry and bitter or even violent. Because life's not going our way. And it doesn't have to be only with people. Think of the times. Think of the times when you have, in anger, um, yelled at God. Hey, that's okay. Am I the only one that's ever yelled at God? Am I the only one that ever whined? Yes, (laughs) Chad's shaking his head. Yep, yeah. Sucks to be you, Pastor Dave, right? He's, he was getting out his marshmallows and his chocolate, I think. He was going to have some more. Um, wow. Wow. Um, have you not read Lamentations in the Bible? Have you not read how many chapters in Job? Have you not read the Psalms? That's a really healthy thing to do, isn't it? In fact, I would say it's much healthier to cry out to God than it is to yell at other people, Right? In fact, that's a good aphorism, isn't it? Before you talk to someone else, talk to God about them, right? And I can mark, I can mark in my life the times when I've done that and when I've not done that by the consequences of what happened. Oh, God's got broad shoulders. Don't fear to come out. He'd much rather have an authentic you, right, than a fake you, right? That really actually leads me to my last excuse here. Sometimes we flee, sometimes we fight, and sometimes we just choose to fake it, right? We just put on the happy face and we think that we're fooling everybody. That's one of the things about, about doing a lot of uh, funerals and memorial services is that I, I get to see um, the, the generations that come after the one who passed away. I get to see them. And, and they, they're just really open about it, right? They, they, just, they just say, you know, this person was not perfect. They tried to hide it from us, but we, we knew about it the whole time. They weren't fooling anybody and they didn't fool god and so maybe i'm making this up as i go along here but maybe you are never more alive 
than when you're authentic with God. Maybe that's really a definition of being alive, is not faking it, is not fighting it, is not running from it, but choosing to live in brokenness and vulnerability instead. I want to encourage you as you risk, as you risk opening, it is your, it is your soul, I know that, laying your soul bare and saying, this part of my soul, God, is in great need of help. I shared that with you for myself. All the, all the measures of it say that I'm, a, I'm an adolescent emotionally. Um, God, I offer to you my adolescence. I offer to you my um, self-centered, um, protective emotions, God, and invite you to make them new. Make them new. I want, Lord, to grow up in all ways unto Christ who is my head. And I know I can't do that as long as I hide and protect and fight and flee and fake it. God, let me trust you with every aspect of my life. Beloved, I want to encourage you to trust God. Choose to live for His glory alone. One of our Latin mottos is soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. Now, does that mean that you'll be hanging out there in the breeze emotionally, physically, maybe? Um, spiritually, absolutely. But you've got a great God who's worthy of your trust. You've got a great God who is able to care for you in the midst of that. And you have got a great God who's going to take even your pain and your brokenness and use it to, to bless other people richly. The good news, the good news is that your good and his glory are one and the same. And so if he's put you in a place that doesn't look good, know that he's not done yet. This summer we're going to join our children and spend nine weeks looking at the life of Joseph. As I was working on that yesterday, preparing that series, I I saw again that amazing passage where Joseph is put in prison. And 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 unrighteously, uh, something he didn't do, and he tells people and even heals people, and nobody comes to his rescue for six months, for 12 months, for 18 months, for two years. He lives in the prison. And read between the lines, beloved, we're not necessarily talking about a physical prison. Some of you are living in a prison that God put you in because he's going to do something in you and through you. And it is worth the wait. When Joseph was finally called out of prison where he'd been camping for two years, he was made second in command of all of Egypt and God used him to save two nations from death. Two nations, including the most powerful nation in the world at that time, from death. Oh, I know you don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand me. But I do trust I do trust him that he's sovereign over my circumstances. He's sovereign over my emotions as well. Offer yourself to him, beloved. Again, thinking of Jesus, it's not like we don't have someone who in every way, 1 Corinthians 10, right, has been tempted as we are, 
Um, excuse me, that's, God has provided an escape in 1 Corinthians 10. Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, right? Jesus has experienced everything physically, emotionally, and spiritually that you have. And he's gone before. And, and he knew that there would be times in your prison, whether self-imposed or otherwise, where, where you would begin to doubt his faithfulness. And he said, remember, remember me in the midst of that. Remember the garden. Remember Good Friday. Remember that Saturday when it seemed like the forces of evil had completely broken through and dominated. Remember those things. Remember what I sacrificed for you and remember what God did with it. Remember that God raised me from the dead. So I want to invite you to come today and remember. I'm trying to think what it was. We had something yesterday that I hadn't eaten for a while, tasted for a while. And the moment I tasted it, my mind just went back to the last time that I had it. Oh, it was at a Mexican restaurant. And I put lemon on my chips and it took me back to a place 35 years ago. Just like that. I want to invite you to go back to a place where God felt your pain, where God heard your cry, where God offered a solution to your vulnerability, where God paid a price that you couldn't pay. I want you to go back today to a place of grace, to a place of heart-enlarging love. I want you to focus on what's on the other side of your circumstances, on the joy that is before you, so that God might give you the strength to endure. I want you to come to the table of the Lord. If you're visiting with us, I would say this is, this is the Lord's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. It's not all of that table. It is the Lord's table. The only thing required to come to this table is for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And for those of you who have baptized children, you are welcome to come to the table of the Lord. And maybe, just maybe, this is the time when you would come to the Lord. If you're at that place today where you want to entrust your life to a Lord who's gone before you and experienced everything for you, not instead of you, but for you, who's gone before you, then I invite you. Pray with me if you would. Oh God, I'm, I'm finally at that place where I recognize that you're calling me. You're speaking to me today. I've lived too long in broken emotions, God. I've lived too long with a shriveled heart. Would you take this heart, God, and make it new? Would you renew my emotions? Would you set before me a joy that I can taste and see and move toward? God, would you grant me hope today through Jesus Christ? I offer my life to him. You, God, be my Lord through Jesus You lead me. And God, I will give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. If you're at that place today where you're able to do that, come and join us. If you're like me and you've walked with Jesus maybe upwards of four decades or more, come to the table because we need to remember. Am I making that up? We need to remember too. God, I just pray that you take this simple bread. It is just pita bread we bought at the grocery store, God but infuse it with your spiritual presence right now, would you? And take the simple juice, would you, Lord? And make it the presence of Jesus. Make it the blood of Christ, which even as we by faith drink of it, cleanses us, renews us, and, and draws us into your presence. And God, I just thank you. 
I thank you that your grace is enough for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our servers, please come forward. Our worship team, would you come up as well? Uh, during the course of this winter, of course, we're in deep in flu season. Have you seen that whole school systems have been shut down by, by the illness that's going around? So we're gonna, we're gonna serve communion today by distribution, which means that the elements will come to you and we invite you to take, um, a piece of the bread. I think it's already, yeah, it's cut up for you already. Uh, and to, um, and to hold that. And when, when, when God grants you permission, when you are ready, uh, when you understand what you're holding in your hand, then to partake of that and claim that promise that he will be in you and you will be in him. And then, and then when the cup comes around, if you would retain the cup and hold on to the cup until all have been served, then uh, we'll partake of that together to symbolize that it was not just for us that he died, but it was for us as well, for all those who would choose to trust in his name. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And Paul, again, reminds us that when we do this, we're responding to Jesus' love. We're proclaiming his life and his death and his resurrection until he comes. I invite you, come to the table of the Lord.